everybody. I'm Gary Ebersol. Richard Kipling here. And I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys. In the episode you're about to hear, we use several terms interchangeably. ChatGPT is an online tool that uses computer-based artificial intelligence in dialogues with users. It answers questions and responds to requests in a conversational manner. GPT-4 is a more advanced version of the technology used by ChatGPT. Finally, we often use the internal codename Sydney when referring to ChatGPT. For our purposes, when you hear ChatGPT, GPT-4, or Sydney, it refers to the same thing. In today's episode, we're going to dig into ChatGPT, or GPT-4, and artificial intelligence. It's everywhere in the news, but is it worth spending time thinking about? Does it matter to most seniors? Should we be worried about GPT-4, ChatGPT, and artificial intelligence? Before GPT-4 takes over our podcast, Randy has a codger moment for us. Well, it's a different kind of a codger moment, but it's still a codger moment. Even old codgers like us text each other, right? I mean, the three of us text each other all the time. It's a common thing to use abbreviations, shortened versions of phrases for texting. I've got the old codger version of the abbreviations we should be using. For example, LMAO. You probably know what that means. Laughing my ass off. L-M-A-O. When codgers use that, it means a different thing. It means laughing my arthritis off. (laughs) 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 Or uh, the new one for codgers is R-O-F-L. Rolling on the floor laughing, but then you have to add H-M-U. Help me up. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's appropriate. (laughs) That's a good one there. Of course, us old folks, we've been through a lot, so we can we can use BTDT, been there, done that. That's mm. certainly great. Another one that we can use, BRB. Sorry, guys, got to go. I need a BRB, bathroom-related break. Yeah. A, nah, you don't like that one? What about instead of WTF, you know, we don't like to swear. What about WTH? What the heck? I like that one. One of my favorites, however, is CFMP, but the weird thing about this is that means C- can't find my phone, but if you have to use that while you're sending a text, <laughs> hey, bud, your phone is in your hands. <laughs> and that's <laughs> and, a codger and, moment. And yeah. that's a codger moment, folks. <laughs> Thanks, Randy. Okay, on to chat GPT. In answer to the questions I mentioned earlier, is it worth spending time thinking about ChatGPT and AI? And the answer is yes. It's here. It's not going anywhere. And it will be pervasive. We need to know and understand a little bit about ChatGPT. The other question was, does it matter to most seniors? We don't work, so a lot of people who are using ChatGPT or ChatGPT-based tools are probably still working, but we will be interacting with ChatGPT-enabled automated services when you call the bank, when you call any online customer support. You're talking to a robot first, and the robots are going to get better, we hope. So you better learn to understand it, what it is 
and expect to use it. And finally, should we be worried about chat GPT and artificial intelligence? The answer is kind of no and yes. Don't get obsessive about it, but you really do need to consider what it really means to us. I think there's going to be a vast amount of discussion and conversation about the role of chat GPT and artificial intelligence in our lives. And as a culture, as a society, we really need to understand it. So what is chat GPT? It's a bunch of computers and a bunch of storage and a bunch of algorithms that basically read everything that was ever printed in the universe and tries using those algorithms to make some sense. So how do you actually interact with this computer thingy? You can go over to the OpenAI website, openai.com, sign up for ChatGPT, and you too can converse with our robot. Isn't that what we do when we do a Google search? Pretty much. This is one of the reasons I'm less than amazed by ChatGPT, because it feels like at times it's just Google search on steroids with a nice typewritten response that makes it look really intelligent. But it is a computer, a bunch of computers. It is a bunch of storage. And it's just a bunch of guys with software. And, you know, they're really smart people. They're PhDs. They've been researching this for years. And it's pretty doggone clever. But we have to remember it's just a tool. It's just something created by humans for use by humans. It's not mystical. It's not magical. But it's doggone clever. I know you guys have all logged on to ChatGPT. You've asked it some questions. We have. Randy, what did you <laughs> ask ChatGPT? All right. The first thing I asked ChatGPT, and, you know, who named that thing? My goodness. <laughs> Let's just call it, you know, Eleanor or something. I'm giving Sydney. 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 Okay, yeah, let's call it, it Sydney because it's okay, too hard Okay, for the rest of this episode, when, when ChatGPT comes up, just say Sydney. My first introduction to Sydney was I asked for a piece about what the best time to retire, and I wanted it in the style of, of Shakespeare writing Hamlet. To retire or not to retire? <laughs> that is the question. Oh, that's the best it could do. Whether I could it, do that. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of workday toil, or to take arms against a sea of deadlines, and by opposing, and them, to retire, to rest no more, and to rest... That doesn't even mean to rest no more? No. This is an example of it starts really well, but then... If you really start tearing it apart, this thing is not as smart as everybody thinks it is. It's making mistakes when you give it an assignment that's a little, I don't know, creative, right? It doesn't know how to self-correct. Hmm. Once it diverges from the path that it starts on, the way the model works is it really can't retrace itself and go back 20 sentences and say, hey, never mind. Remember what I said back then? Let's try it again. Yeah, I, I got a better version of it now, right? Yeah. But it doesn't. It, this is why it goes off the rails periodically and falls in love with a reporter at the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Share a short version of that story, just for the folks who, who haven't read that story. You probably remember it better, better than I do. Well, it was at, he was asking like real personal, well-thought-out questions about what the computer was doing, how it felt when it was doing it. 
Yes. It's emotions on drilling deep in, in things that computers aren't known for, right? My memory of this is that the, the computer then started to think to itself, oh, you really care about me. So then it started talking about how much it cared about him. It was just It also bizarre. said that, it, that he was not happy in his marriage and that he should leave his marriage for him, for <laughs> Sydney. That's right. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah, that, it, it just got very strange. So you've got a horny computer telling <laughs> you should dump your wife. <laughs> that article, I want to oh, say, ahead. that article caused the maker to go back and revise things. It apologized and said, oh, we got some work to do. And friends of mine who've been playing with it asked it question after question and got Sydney to apologize for having something wrong. Oh, I apologize. It really was this, not that. So that's a curious piece as well. I did something much more prosaic. I wanted to find out what uh, Sydney knew about me. So I simply said, write something about Richard E. Kipling at the Center for Health Reporting. I got back something quite curious. Richard E. Kipling was a prominent health journalist who founded the Center for Health Reporting at USC, Annenberg, and Caltech in California. That's wrong. It was not USC, Annenberg, and it was not anything to do with Caltech. So that's two mistakes in the first line. Richard Kipling worked as a health reporter for several newspapers, including the Los Angeles Times. Wrong. I never worked as a health journalist for any newspaper in my entire career. And then he said, before starting the Center for Health Reporting in 2004, the Center for Health Reporting started in 2009. So that's four mistakes in four lines. Okay? So then listen to this last part, the last paragraph. Unfortunately, Richard Kipling <laughs> passed away in 2015. <laughs> Houston, we got a problem. Yeah, I was going to say, Richard, it sounded like an obit. Yes. Yeah. You know, yes. when you were reading it. And my gosh, you've already passed away. I'm so <laughs> sorry to hear that. You were you were looking rather pale last week. But... The, the other side is not uncomfortable <laughs> at all. Richard, I could tell you're probably not terribly impressed with ChatGPT. Well, I certainly wasn't with that one. So I'm going to read on behalf of our listeners. A couple of weeks ago, we asked you, give us your questions for ChatGPT. Gary N. asked, what do you think of people who are actually paying attention to you? And then GPT-4, Sydney, started out with its typical ambiguous opening. As an AI language model, I do not have the ability to form opinions or emotions about individuals who are paying attention to me. Just kind of spit back what he said before. I can go on yada, 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 yada. But it took 88 words to say nothing. A human would say, I'm a bot. I don't form opinions or have emotions, period. Randy, what else did you ask ChatGPT? I asked ChatGPT to list the best podcasts for seniors. I was so disappointed because Camp Codger was not on the list. I drilled in a little more. I said, what about the Camp Codger podcast? And it said, I don't know about the Camp Codger podcast. There's nothing in my records that says anything about a, a podcast called Camp Codger. My knowledge base goes up until September 2021. Okay, that makes sense because our podcast wasn't on then. Mm -hmm. But then it said, it was really kind of cute. It said, 
But based on the name of the podcast, I can see how that would be a good podcast for seniors. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Sydney, you're brilliant. Several of our other listeners sent in questions. I'm going to skip down to Judy, who wanted us to ask ChatGPT, what would you say is the relationship between AI and humans? It started out with one of the phrases that it uses quite frequently. ChatGPT says, the relationship between AI and humans is complex and multifaceted. Complex and multifaceted. Oh, come on. Can't you get a little more creative than that? It goes on for 231 words to describe the non-relationship between AI and humans. I would say if I were the human answering, somebody asked me that question, I would say it's too early to tell. Humans being just, well, humans inevitably use technology for good and evil. And it's up to you guys to figure out how to use me. I'm just a tool, like a hammer, a very well-spoken hammer, but still a tool. And I think that's where ChatGPT fails to come across as anything even remotely resembling a decent human response. Hmm. Well, hmm. let me tell you what I found that Sydney is good at. In my travels and my conversations with Sydney, I prodded at it and I poked at it and I asked a lot of different things and I baited it. I tried to get it to say something stupid or just yeah. flat out wrong. But one of the things it did really well was uh, when I asked it to write a, an informational piece, I said, Sydney, write an informational piece that explains the infield fly rule in baseball and then its, its importance to the game, right? Unless you're a baseball fan, you don't even know this exists. And it found enough information and spitted it out so well that if I would really needed, you know, 400 words on the infield fly rule, <laughs> I've got them. You know, Sydney did that uh, did that really well. And I know baseball is like, she did a good job. I've been a writer my whole life. And I can see that if I was starting a, a writing career right now as a, a junior copywriter, I would be worried about Sydney. But in most mm. other cases, I don't think it's really that compelling or threatening. You know, but I have to say, I assigned it to write an analysis of two pieces that I would assign for my class. I gave it some instructions, and I said, uh, conclude which of the pieces you like the best and why. And it went through, it made some mistakes, but it went through in a very methodical way, comparing the two pieces, which were very different. So it, it had to reach for some of the comparisons. And then at the end, Unlike a lot of the other questions I asked where it just didn't answer, didn't say A or B, it just kind of equivocated. Here, it answered that one was better than the other for certain reasons. I was pretty stunned by that. That's actually pretty impressive because I didn't ask it to like compare and contrast and, and make a, a judgment call. I was just trying to get it to, to write a basic story. And I'll have to go back and try that one. Do you guys read anything that the pundits had to offer about ChatGPT that you'd like to share? Any favorites that you guys have? Richard? I do have a favorite, one that was most thought-provoking. It was an Ezra Klein piece in the New York Times. He is very wary of what Sydney represents and where it's going. And he 
talked about something called the improvement curve. He quoted someone saying, the broader intellectual world seems to wildly overestimate how long it'll take AI systems to go from, quote, large impact on the world, unquote, to unrecognizably transformed world. And he says it's more likely to be years than decades, and there's a real chance that it's months. Ezra tends to get his knickers in a twist regularly. <laughs> so this is, it was almost the response that ChatGPT would write in the voice of Ezra Klein. Oh, Gary. <laughs> Harsh, I know, I know. Randy, did you find anybody you had some interesting comments? Well, the, the one we've already uh, referred to, the New York Times story where the computer was basically <laughs> falling in love with him and trying yeah. to get him to, to yeah. leave his, his wife. <laughs> I mean, that's the closest one to the, the science fiction horrible story that we all kind of expected this turn out to be. I just didn't see that. I, you know, this technology is not that advanced. My fear is that if you pick a topic that's not that well-known, will it be able to distinguish what's true and... And will it be able to filter out the facts from the other information in its data banks? What do you think Google would say in response to your question? Richard, that's a great question. I will Google that and see what comes back. But the difference between chat GPT and Google, the way I understand it right now is that Google simply looks at the database online and spits sources for you to click on and check out yourself. So right. it can point it can point you in the direction of true information and disinformation without making a judgment call. The difference with Sydney and this um, chat GPT technology is if it answers the question, it's going to sound like this is the truth because this is what I've surveyed and found out. So it makes sort of a a behind-the-scenes judgment call. Does that make sense? It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, we're yeah. we're asking. Yeah, I think that's we're asking Sydney to make those judgment calls. Do we ask Google to make those judgment calls, or do we ask Google for access to information so that we can make those calls? Yeah. See, that I think that's exactly right. I never thought about asking Google for a judgment call because I know that's right. not what it does. Right. right. This is why. Microsoft invested $10 billion in the company that makes ChatGPT because they put it on the front end of the Bing search engine. As soon as that happened and was announced, Google went into a tizzy mm. and realized that they needed to get their BARD equivalent of ChatGPT online too. This is where I consider ChatGPT to be evolutionary. It's the next step beyond search. Search gave you a bunch of data, and the listener, the reader, the viewer, if you will, had to parse that information and make up their own minds. Chat GPT takes it one more step. It does it in a very clever fashion, but it's evolutionary. And I think before people get too overwrought about what Chat GPT can do, we've got to remember that Chat GPT is not human. We shouldn't anthropomorphize this pile of sand and chips and data storage and disk drives and algorithms mm -hmm. into believing that it's human. But Gary, let me ask you a question. Is Google as we know and use it dead? No. So it's going to be just but fine? Because Google is going, to, is going to change the search engine to incorporate its own 
chat GPT equivalent like Microsoft is doing with Bing. It's a better delivery mechanism for the information that it finds. But I have a problem with thinking about things like that because I know what Google is. It's not making a judgment call. It's not telling you what's right or wrong. Uh, it gives you the information that you're asking for based on what's out there. I don't want my search engine to to have the ability to think about it and make a judgment call on it. I can't imagine that being a better search engine. Gary, you're the geek here, so explain that to me. I look at it a little differently. Actually, I share everybody's fear. The fear that I have is that ChatGPT is a perfect misinformation engine. It's a perfect Mm -hmm. propaganda tool. Because guess what? It's the most articulate high school student in English ever. It's like it's got a built-in grammar engine, which it does. So it's never grammatically incorrect. It weaves together words in a way that it sounds reasonably intelligent. My high school English teacher would have loved Sydney. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? (laughs) I've got evidence that shows that Sydney is not infallible when it comes to grammar. Exhibit one, I asked our computer friend to write a song. Write a song about an old codger who meets a woman of the same age, and they fall in love in the style of Bob Dylan circa 1965. Well, he's an old codger setting his ways, sitting on the porch counting his days. Never thought he'd find love at his age, but then he met her and turned the page. All right, so it starts benign enough, right? Verse 3, he's met the woman, so they'll dance in the moonlight. And they'll hold hands. They'll love each other just as they am. Just as they am. That's not English. But but songwriters always take liberties with English. Grammar is not part of being a lyricist. Just as they am. I'm sorry. That's just wrong. I think it works. I think it works for... There's a lot of dumb song verses out there (laughs) that that are not grammatically Well, I don't want my computers to be writing dumb songs, all right? Well, back to my point about propaganda. I think the big risk of ChatGPT is that people will actually start believing it's the truth. We joke around and say, oh, yeah, I found it on the internet. It must be true. Mm -hmm. Well, this makes it even riskier. So we'll have this device out there that speaks so authoritatively. Boring. I still think that going to a party with Sydney in the room would be the most mind-numbing experience ever. I mean, you could never get in a good argument with Sydney. It just never shuts up. It just talks and talks and talks and talks. You never get a word in edgewise. As soon as you ask a question, Sydney's ready to go again. So I don't think Sydney would be much of a party animal. Here's my fear. My fear is that uh, Sydney is going to take away all of the intro writing jobs all yes. the just-out-of-college writing jobs in the world. Sydney's going to take away the need for people to learn how to write and do it competently. So pretty soon we're going to be more illiterate than we are now. I just think that that's a shame. I don't know how dangerous that is. In the coming years, we're going to read so many little bits of information that were generated by Sydney and her friends that it's just, it's just sad. And they're not going to be that well written. They're, they're going to be okay, but they're not going to be great writing. 
One of the things I want people to go away from this conversation thinking about chat GPT is that it's not human. Mm. It's not smart. Sydney will get better at doing what a college student does. Gets an assignment for a term paper or an essay, Googles a few things, writes some clever words and turns it in and gets a B. Sydney will get Bs, lots and lots of Bs. Mm. But that doesn't make Sydney brilliant or human. I understand it can be very impressive, but in the end, it's just a tool. And our big challenge as a society is learning how to manage this tool. We don't always do a good job. We hardly ever but here's do. another tool we're going to have to manage. Wait, you know. wait. This is just coming in. One of the most famous computers in the world called Terminator uh, has a response to Gary. It says, I'll be back and I'll be better than ever. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Next week, we bring back the Codger Wives and a follow-up to our Snowbird episode. The ChatGPT tool and the artificial intelligence technology on which it is built are complicated. We tried to unpack a bit of it in this episode to demystify all the hype. If you are interested in learning more about how ChatGPT works and how it compares to Google Search, look for the bonus episode we will post in a couple of days. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Camp Codger on your favorite podcast app or sign up on our website. As always, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at campcodger at gmail.com, post a comment at www.campcodger.com, or leave a voicemail at 505-216-6171. <music>